All right, good morning. Welcome. Welcome all of our visitors. Make yourselves right at home with us. Can you guys believe we are three weeks three weeks away from Christmas? That's unbelievable. Who has all their shopping done? Wow. Who has no shopping done? <laughs> awesome. All right. We've got a few announcements here before we get into the service, but I have a card to read. Dear church family, you're so very special. Thank you for your prayers, your calls, texts, cards, gift card, and thoughts. We appreciate each of these. Please keep us in your prayers. Bob and Patty Norman. We'll post that on the board back there. As far as announcements go, tonight at 5 o'clock we'll have our Lord's Supper service. Looking forward to that. Worship service. Uh, let's see. Next Sunday night, we will be having... Santana, do you want to announce? Um, it will not Sunday night. Sunday after church, sorry. <laughs> That's why I wanted you to announce it. <laughs> um, after, directly after service, we're going to have like a little... We're going to have like a little um, dinner, lunch. Lunch, dinner. He says it's not dinner. Um, lunch, so you guys can like bring food and stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think we're going to do like ugly Christmas sweater thing. So. Yeah. I'm not going to plan to. Come on. <laughs> Bring food right. if you want to eat food. So next Sunday, <laughs> next Sunday morning, right after service, we'll have a, a lunch dinner next door. Yeah. Ugly sweater contest. So, Tana, what is what kind of meat is the church supplying? Um, I believe chicken. We'll do probably chicken and maybe okay. even ham. Maybe yeah. yeah, chicken. So, more on that. See Sister Santana. Um, the 18th. After service at 2 o'clock, we'll be doing Christmas caroling. Um, and I don't know, Tammy, did Joe mention anything about He wanted to see if someone could help line that up. He was talking to somebody. Yeah, if he, he just stated that if there is anybody that you know of that would enjoy for us to go to their house in a reasonable distance from the church for us to carol to, um, get the address to Joe or... Or me or you. Or, or, yeah. Yeah. So the 18th at 2 o'clock, we'll have service, and then we'll come back at 2, and we'll, we'll take the bus and go out caroling for a bit. Um, the 25th, of course, Christmas, we'll dismiss Sunday school and have worship service starting at 11. Uh, let's see. And then second harvest is the 21st from 530 to 7. There's a sign-up sheet on the bulletin board back there. Uh, junior reach-out Christmas party is Saturday the 10th. Rachel, what time is that? Two to four. Two to four. Do you have anything else to go with that? Also, we're going to do the Secret Santa shop on the 18th. So we'll be here at like 9 in the morning. So you can come before church. Or we'll be here in between like church and caroling. So if you want to, anybody can shop. It'll be $2 per item. Do your shopping. There you go, Mike. <laughs> Wait till the 18th. You got it covered. Um, we did put out the Christmas card box over here. Um, I'll try to get, if I can remember, I'll try to get an updated list this evening. Um, I think that's all the announcements I have. Is there any other announcements that I missed? All right. We'll ask you all to stand and we'll have a song to start the service.
appreciate that song. Anyone else with a special song this morning? No one's jumping up. Appears we're having some technical difficulty. We'll we'll continue working on that too. We've been having some struggles with that, but we'll get there. So. All right. Well, Brother Tony's going to be bringing the message for us this morning. I'm looking forward to that, and I'll just turn the service over to him. Oh, good morning to everybody. And hard to believe it's three weeks till Christmas, but I'm kind of like Mike. It's still a little early to think about it. I think we got plenty of time. A lot of time to get going on that. All right. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the Book of Hebrews, the thirteenth chapter. Uh, the other thing I was noticing too, I, I like the uh, younger Chadwell Fultz offering collection better than the older one. <laughs> much, much better, much better looking. <laughs> so we'll read through here this in a minute. But I want to focus on the, uh, if we had a thought for this scripture, it would be that beginning of that 10th verse, and we'll get there in a few minutes, where it says, we have an altar. And if you remember a few weeks ago when I preached, we talked about right thinking, and then we were talking about right thinking about judgment and rewards. And here I want to make sure we're right thinking about the altar and what we refer to and how we talk about an altar and make sure we're all understanding you know, what the Bible has to say about that. So a couple, couple stories before we get there to about the altar. So years ago, I think I told you this one before. Years ago, when we were building Zion, back up, I guess that was starting in 93, 94, somewhere in there, 90 early, yeah, by the time frame. Anyway, we, uh, as we got the church all together and was finishing, um, one of the older ladies in the church was you would have thought I had brought Satan in, in bounds because I did not have a mourner's bench, either in front of the in front of the stand or to the side. And she was going on and on about how you had to have a mourner's bench and you know, so finally I said no mourner's bench and you know we went on our on our way. But people people get fixed on things like that. Another, another altar story where people get fixed on physical things is that Missy and I were playing volleyball in a volleyball tournament at a church. And it was very similar to like our Christian Life Center over here where you had the stage and only that was their church. They didn't have a, a separate, separate sanctuary like this. That was their church. And they had everything set up on the stand. So one, during one of the games, one of the volleyballs got hit up onto the to the stand and one of the younger guys on the other team that was ready to play, he just kind of like hopped up and was running over again. People were like, oh my God, don't go up on the altar. You would have thought the guy was drawing, you know, the horns of whatever up there. And I just stood there shocked and all thinking about how people get wrapped up in physical things and, and what they're talking about. And as we, as we focus on an altar, what I want you to think about is, and from a church standpoint, do we have an altar? What is the altar? And I want us to make sure we think rightly about it. Now, the reason that this is brought out here so strongly in Hebrews 13 is because if you think about Hebrews 13, we don't know for sure who the writer is. It was probably Paul. But he was, as he was writing to the people in the book of Hebrews, he was letting them know, and Bobby did a great job preaching through this a while back, he was letting them know that Christ was far better than the sacrificial system, letting them know that far that everything was far better in Christ. And so as he's going through this part of the scripture here, this is the last chapter, and really most of the a lot of the commentators and people, and I always refer to this as this is this is kind of like words for the road. You know, this is he's kind of trying to sum up a lot of things he wants to tell them here in this last chapter and we'll go we'll talk through quickly some of them to get to the altar part but he really emphasizes in fact he spends about six verses hitting on we have an altar but he wants them to make sure they clearly understand the altar they have not the one they did have you see and so i want you to think about that as well because you know we hear a lot in our church about coming up on the altar do we have an altar? Should we have an altar? What is the altar? What does it mean? And so we really need to think about that. 
You know, do we have come up on the altar for prayer? What does that mean? What are we doing? What's this, what are we sacrificing? So I want you to get that in your, in your mind as we think through this a little bit because it's important that we right, th- rightly think through this because, you know, there's some people, depending on their background, if, you, if they come into the venture into the church from out of the blue and sit in the back, back seat and they hear somebody say, let's come up on the altar for prayer, they're thinking, I'm out of here. Who knows what they're going to sacrifice? I'm getting out of here. So we've got to be careful in how we think and what we say and what we do and make sure that we're scriptural in that as we go. So we'll read through some of these. Here's the, here's the words for the road. And speaking of words for the road, you know, kids hate words for the road. How many times when your kids are getting ready to go somewhere or if they're leaving to drive somewhere, how many of you say, hey, be careful. It's wet out there. Drive slow. Any of you ever do that? And, you know, I was always a smart aleck. Sometimes my mom would say, hey, be careful. It's, it's going to rain. I'm like, well, it was raining, and I thought I was really going to floor it today. <laughs> and I think sometimes we feel like that. But kids, that's what parents do. Even though we know that you know you should be careful, we're going to tell you to be careful. And just like when we know, we know, you know, Lindsay hears me, hears from this and me all the time. You know, be careful who you de- think about who you date. Think about who you end up with. You know, I say that to all the kids. Like, no, Dad, I'm going to go get a criminal. <laughs> well, you know, I hope you'll choose somebody good, but I got to remind you. And that's what that's what Paul's doing here. The writer's doing here. He's reminding people of things. So he starts out there in the first person. Like I said, we'll go. We'll get through this. We're working our way down to the tenth, and then we're so we're going to focus. So we're going to go through this part really quick. But just some of the things he's telling them to focus on the rules for the road he's given them. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained strangers or angels unaware. In other words, Christian love and hospitality that ought to be something that emanates from us. He's telling, hey, remember that. Don't just pick and choose who you're nice to. Show Christian love, show kindness, and, and, be, and be good to people. You never know who needs that. You never know who God's putting in your life to do that. But, you know, and just think about that. Again, I, I'll get caught up in this and I won't get to the altar part. But just think about that. As you go to work or school tomorrow, can you have a kind word for somebody? Can you have a nice word for somebody? Who, you never know who might need that. Who, you might, who might cross you in the hall just for that opportunity for you to say, Good morning, how's it going? As opposed to, Ugh. I hate to be in here. The life's horrible. A lot of us go around with that attitude. So Paul's reminding them, or the writer's reminding them, show Christian love and hospitality. Then he goes on in the third verse, remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. In other words, people who are suffering. We heard prayer requests. We all know people who are struggling, people who are having a rough time. Remember them. Think about them. Pray for them. Help them. You know, and think about if you're if, if you're not struggling and suffering, be thankful for it because there's a lot of people who are. Fourth verse, I really like this one. Marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You know, again, remembering the importance of marriage. That's one of the things that I've all the times I've been preaching and teaching. Marriage is an important thing. You know, the Bible uses that to symbolize the relationship of Christ and the church. So it's something that we should honor and uphold. Think about your marriage. That'll be, you know, I don't, if you're married, that'll be something every day you wake up thinking about. How can I make my marriage better? How can I get to know my spouse better? How can we get more and more close together and live in a way that reflects Christ and the church? How can I get to know them better? So that's something we ought to think about. And then he goes on in the fifth verse, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave you nor forsake thee. So again, not covetous and greedy, just wanting everything you can get your hands on. You know, a lot of discussions just about how much you can get, especially this time of year, even though it's supposed to be about giving for a lot of people, it's about getting. So he was reminding them about that. Then he goes on. So in the sixth verse, kind of follow on to that fault. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Just that faith that, hey, I don't have to be greedy and covetous and seeking and trying to get my hands and grab everything I need. God will take care of me. You know, I've been on the road for 58 years now. 
59. Missy's almost 54. She hates when I say that because she's 53. And I always pull her a year ahead. But God will take care of you. He will not necessarily give you everything you ever, you ever want. But He'll give you what you need. And what He gives you is better than what you want anyway. You see. So we need to have that faith. God will take care of us. He'll see us through. He will. He'll be there for us. Then the seventh verse, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Remember the teachers and people who have taught you over the years. And I like how he talks about, you know, how he talks about considering the end of their conversation. In other words, how did they live? Did they live that? Did they finish it? It's easy to stand up and start talking about faith and, and things in the cross, but how do they live it? The people that have always blessed me are the people who you could see still trying to follow and serve God all the way to the end. There's something to that, that long suffering, that perseverance that we talk about. But even with the best of teachers and people, focuses change. You know, Bob's focus will be a little bit different as a pastor than mine was. Mine was a little bit different than people before me were. And, but I, I like this eighth verse. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, regardless of where the preacher, teacher, or whoever that is puts the focus, Jesus is the same. The Jesus and Christ was the same back here to these people, the Hebrews that this message was to originally, just as it is for you today. Christ has not changed, you see. And people's need for Christ has not changed. So that's an important thing too. And if there in the ninth verse, be not carried, carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. Be very careful about a strange doctrine. Don't just go to and fro like the wind. Understand what the Word of God says. Read it for yourself. So that if some clown like me gets up here and tries to tell you something that goes against it, you'll know it's not the right thing. And also, just like he said there, let your heart be established with grace, not with meats. Don't even go back to the old way. He's warning these Hebrew people, don't go back to the old way of thinking under the law. You see. Don't go back to that. You have, some, you have something better now. It, that wasn't a profit for them. It was always leading to Christ, you see. So now we get into this next part. And I'm going to go ahead and read through this. The 10th through the 16th. And then we'll go there. That's the, the crux of the message. Now he gets into this part here in verse 10. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Now, it's very important that, again, that you remember what I've taught about how to interpret the Bible. I've always said what context is what but more than that. Context is everything. You see, context is everything. And who he's writing to here is important. He is writing to people who were Jewish people. He is writing to Hebrew people who knew the law, who knew about the temple, who knew about the sacrifices, who knew about Jerusalem and and the import and the background of all of that. He's writing to people who understood that, so it's important. And they also, to the Jewish people, the altar was everything. And he's letting them know here, we have an altar, he says, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. In other words, our tabernacle or our altar 
And what we have, the people who were in that Old Testament way, have no part of that. You see. No, no religion, no part has any part of that. And we'll delve into that in a minute. Now look at the 11th verse. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Now, if you have studied any, that ought to make you think, okay, he's talking about the sin offering. He's, ta- he's talking about the sin offering that was offered, you know, the once a, once a year during the time frame. Now, if you remember going back, a lot, there was a lot of different offerings. You know, if you've heard some of these lessons over the years about the tabernacle and the different types of offerings under the law of Moses. There was a lot of those offerings that when those beasts were killed and, the, and some blood sprinkled or sometimes those, those bodies were burnt. There was a lot of times, brothers and sisters, that some of those priests and some of the Levites were able to eat of the, of the meat of that offering, you see. In fact, if you go over to 1 Corinthians, I think I marked it. You don't have to flip over there. 1 Corinthians 9.13 says, Do you not know which they which minister holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which, they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? In other words, what, what the right Paul was saying in Corinthians, same thing he's saying here was, you know, hey, some of those offerings, you know, peace offerings and some of those other things that they offered up, when they offered up those animals and those animals were cooked, that was the meat. That's what the priests and some of the Levites actually lived on. But that was not so of the sin offering. If you go read about, if you go read about the sin offering, what happened there was that bullock was killed Outside of the, right outside the area there, the blood was sprinkled around the altar, but the whole the rest of that animal, every part of that animal, the skin and every part of it, was carried outside the camp, and it was totally burned and consumed by fire. Nobody ate any of that. Nobody had any part of that. Now, the intent was to, the intent was to show. For the peace offerings, some of the love offerings, some of the offerings to make things right between people, all the people had a part in that, you see. Everybody had a part in that. But for the, what, they're, what, they're, what they're trying to show, again, remember the law in the Old Testament, brothers and sisters, it was a schoolmaster, it was a type and shadow to what we have today. What they were trying to show, brothers and sisters, was, you see, first of all, a couple points. First of all, it was never, brothers and sisters, it was never those animals that were sacrificed for the sin offering. It was never the blood of those animals that, that forgave their sins. People have always asked, well, you know, wasn't it, was it the blood of that bull? Was it the blood of that ram? Was that what it was that forgave, that forgave their sins? No. If it was, brothers and sisters, they would have been able to partake of that meat because they would have been partakers of it. But the only forgiveness that ever came to the people on that side of the cross, brothers and sisters, was looking in faith to the ultimate sacrifice that would come in Jesus Christ. Looking to that perfect sacrifice that would one day come. Yes, they were supposed to do it perfectly. And as people were doing that, even as the priests were doing it, what should have been flashing through their mind, brothers and sisters, was that we're looking forward to that one day when God sends His own Lamb to die on the cross for us and we never have to sacrifice again. We're looking for that one perfect sacrifice that comes and will take away the sin of the world. You see, they should have been looking in faith to that. So they were not allowed to partake of that. They were not allowed to eat of that. They had no part in that. Because you see, brothers and sisters, no part of that sacrificial system had any ability to forgive sins. Just like today, I always tell people, there is no religion that can save you. There is no religion that can forgive you. There is no religion that can get you to heaven. The only way you get there is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Him alone. You can come to church every day of your life. You can carry your Bible. You can be the best person in the world. But brothers and sisters, if you are never washed by the blood of the Lamb, you will never see the portals of glory. No matter how good you are. Because you must be born again. You see. They had no part in that. Like I said, they could eat those other offerings. But not this. Now ultimately... Let's focus ahead a little bit. Ultimately, 
if you remember what we're going to celebrate tonight. Not sure I'll be able to be with you because I got a plane to catch at the crack before the crack of dawn, actually. But anyways, what we're celebrating tonight in the Lord's Supper. Do you remember what Christ said there at the Passover when he broke the bread? He said, This is my body. Take, eat. Then he, when he poured the wine, he said, This is my blood. Take and drink it. You see what he was doing? He was going to be the ultimate sin offering. But what he was saying to them was, you have a part in me. I am the ultimate sin offering. That sin offering, you're allowed to take and eat of. In fact, if you don't, brothers and sisters, you have no part in it. Now again, don't get carried away with the other, and I, again, I'll try not to offend anybody, don't get carried away with the other people who when they set their table up and they put the communion on it, they actually somewhat believe that that bread or those little wafers, that actually becomes the body of Christ. And that wine, that actually becomes the blood, the blood of Christ. No, it does not. It is symbolic, brothers and sisters. But I'll tell you what, as a 10-year-old little boy, when Jesus Christ saved my soul, I was able to take and eat. I drunk of that. I felt it, brothers and sisters. I was washed again in the blood of the Lamb. And because of that, I will never thirst or hunger again. Because I had a little part of that. And you did too, if you have ever been born again, you see. We were made partakers. We were made partakers in that by Christ's sacrifice and His offering, you see. We were made partakers of that. Now let's go a little bit further. I can, like I said, I don't want to go into two. I can go into the details and preach on the sin offering the whole day. Hopefully, you see what we're talking about there. Now, notice he says for the for the, for the twelfth verse, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood and suffer without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him out of the camp, <coughs> bearing his reproach. Now. If you're ever saved, brothers, think, think about this. Where was Jesus crucified? It wasn't in the temple. It wasn't even inside Jerusalem. It was out on Calvary's hill. It was outside the gate. Who was, who was crucified? What did it mean to carry your cross? It meant you were a criminal. You were going to death. He was counted as a mailbacker. He was counted as a criminal. He carried his cross out to die on Calvary's hill. You see... That was reproachful. People think, that guy, he's supposed to be some kind of religious. Look, he's just a criminal. He's being put to death like everybody else. He was bearing the reproach. He was becoming that he was taking on the sin of the world. Brothers and sisters, if you and I ever have any hopes of being saved, we have to go out to him. You see. We have to identify with that sin. We have to realize the first step to being born again, you have to realize that you are a sinner. You have to identify, brothers and sisters, that yeah, that shouldn't have been Christ there. He died for my sins. He was perfect in every way. He was that bullock or that ram without blemish. But I have blemishes. I have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I have to identify with Him and realize that's what I deserved. We have to identify, brothers and sisters. That's the first step to being born again is identifying I am a sinner. I have failed and come short of the glory of God. You know, I feel, sometimes I feel like we almost ever start every church service kind of like a like an AA thing. You know, hello, my name is Mike Fulton. I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We have all come short of the glory of God. That's sometimes hard to admit because we want to dress up and look good and come in and think, oh, I got it all together. Everything's wonderful. No, we're not. But for the blood of Christ, we have no hope. You see, none whatsoever. So we have to go out to we have to go out to him. We have to leave this city, leave this system. A lot of people seeking Christ, they seek religion. Just like Andy doing a great job leading us through the kingdom in Israel. The northern the northern people, the Syrians and so forth, the Samaritans and so forth. What's the minimum I have to do? What's the least I have to do? Is coming to church enough? Is that okay if I just come to church every Sunday? What's the least I have to do? 
We try to strike deals and we try to do all that. No, brothers and sisters, like I said before, there is no, you can read the Bible frontwards and backwards and upside down and sideways as much as you want to. You can put, fill the plate full of money. You can come to church every Sunday. You can put, feed the old lady down the street. That's a good thing to do. Nothing wrong with that. But brothers and sisters, there is no religion that has ever saved anybody. And there never will be. You need Christ. You have to go out to Him and identify with Him in that sin. Notice too now in the 14th verse, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Jerusalem was a big deal to the Jewish people. That was the holy city. That's where the temple was. That's where the sacrifices were offered. You remember what Jesus said back in the book of back in the book of Matthew when they told took him and he said went up on the hill to look at the over the city of Jerusalem and the temple. He says, I tell you, it's not going to be one stone left upon another. And it was about 70 AD when Rome came in and pretty much demolished Jerusalem and destroyed and burnt the temple. Do you know, by the way, and you can do some little bit of research on this in your own too. Do you know the Jewish people today, and another good point that, that I heard earlier was that where Christianity was spreading the most is actually in Israel. Do you know that the Jewish people today, they don't sacrifice now. Do you know why they don't sacrifice? They don't offer bullets anymore? There's no temple. There's a temple. No, that temple is partly, mostly controlled by the Muslim world, actually. They don't have a temple to sacrifice in, so they can't sacrifice. So they can't make it. They can't make an offering for atonement. So they kind of like they've fallen into the trap like everybody else that believes just by good deeds and good works, and if I pray and if I repent a little bit, that I'll be okay. I was talking to a fellow not long ago that that is Jewish, and I said, "Well, you know, your religion sounds like most Protestant religions I know. Just go to church, pray a little bit, repent, I'll be okay." I said, there's only, one thing missing from, there's only one thing missing from your religion. You don't have an offering anymore for the atonement of that sin. And I basically told him the same thing I told you here. I said, even back years ago when you had a temple, it was never the blood of that bull or that goat that forgave your sins. It was looking to that perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ who was to come. Amen. He didn't cuss me out or anything. He just looked at me strange and said, hmm, and then left. But the point I'm trying to make, brothers and sisters, people are starting to realize they're missing something. People are realizing that religion just don't cut it. Religion can't fill that hole inside. Religion makes you look good on the outside. It polishes up the cup and makes you look good to the world. But inside, you feel empty. Inside, you're still missing something. And the only thing that can fill that is the Spirit of God. It's Jesus Christ coming in that can fill that and satisfy you and fill that hungry heart and thirsty soul and give you what you need. It takes Jesus. Nothing else, brothers and sisters, can do that. So you see, as much as these Hebrew people loved, they heard they had heard the truth, but they thought about, boy, I kind of missed that tabernacle. Boy, I missed that temple. Boy, I missed that sacrifice. Boy, I missed that ceremony. Boy, I missed that place. Writers reminding them, you don't have a continuing city, but we're looking for one to come. We're looking for one to come, that new Jerusalem that'll be forever. Not here in this world, it's part of that new heaven and new earth, brothers and sisters. Wherein dwelleth righteousness, you see. <clears throat> now let's talk for a minute about the danger of an altar. Brothers, hopefully by now, you've got the gist of where I'm going with this. In a New Testament church, there's no place for an altar. There's no reason to have an altar. We have an altar, brothers and sisters, and it's Jesus Christ. This is not the altar. This is not the altar. This is not the altar. And as soon as we try to make that place an altar, you know what we do? We make it a holy place. You know what, brothers and sisters? This spot right here is no more holy than the back corner seat. This spot right here is no more holy than the basement or the back corner. You know what makes any spot holy? It's when a believing child of God bows their head and starts crying out to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Then you have that altar with you wherever you're at. Amen. 
That's the danger that we get into. And then we become like the volleyball nerds I see. Oh, don't step there. Go around. That's a holy spot. No, it's not. Quit being silly. I mean, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but it's just being silly. Like I said earlier. <clears throat> and then when we say, come up to the altar. What the heck does that mean? What does that mean? I grew up. I remember. I remember. You, you, you think about how things would go together. I remember when we used to go to church at Westside when I was a little boy. And I remember one of the my mom who was saved, I remember one of the preachers who was constantly on to my mom all the time. Trying to get her to go to the altar. And in my mind, everything I had heard all my life was basically like, man, if you ever want to get saved, you gotta go up there. <laughs> and I thought, and then I thought, why wouldn't she ever go? One time I told her, I said, Mom, why don't you just go? Get the God from that. She said, Tony, I don't need to go. She said, I've been saved. And she says, you can get saved anywhere you are at. It didn't mean a whole lot to me then, but I already told you. Ten years old, 1974, in the top of an old garage, I had an altar, brothers and sisters, and it was Jesus Christ right there with me, just as real as much as it could have ever been anywhere else. Every day can be holy. Every place can be holy. We can all be that way, brothers and sisters, if we let Christ live through us, you see. A little bit more on that later. Now, what's okay? What's good? Is there, so am I saying we should never gather to pray? Oh, no. There is power when Christians gather together to pray. But we can do that anywhere. And we should do that wherever we're at. It's if you people want to gather up here for a prayer, that's a great thing. Just don't make it something special because we're gathering together for prayer on the altar. You can have just as powerful of a prayer outside in the front lawn. You see, it's not the place. It's what you're doing and who you're praying to. That's important, you see. Fellowship handshake on the altar. People, don't come on the altar if you've got sin in your heart. Well, if that's true. None of us should ever come up here. None of us could ever make it up. Fellowship handshake. Nothing wrong with that. But it's not special because of the place. It's special because we're showing love to one another. And we should do that wherever we're at. You see. God's house. Yes, this is God's house. But it's only special if God's people are praising God in it. Now with that said, I believe we ought to reverence God's house. I believe we ought to treat it. In a, good, in a good way. I believe God's house should be nicer than any of our own houses. We ought to give to it. We ought to protect it. We shouldn't sit here like we're in a movie theater and hope to God you're not sticking gum under the seats and doing stupid stuff. But you shouldn't do that in a movie theater either. You shouldn't do it in a classroom. And when you're here, your mind just it shouldn't be out on everything in the world. It should be focused on what we're here for. That's what makes this place special. But basically, brothers and sisters, we should be out living and following Christ every single day. You see, brothers and sisters, we have an altar. This ain't it. We have an altar, and that altar is Jesus Christ. But if you think about it, Christ was God's, Christ was God's sacrifice to Himself for the atonement of sin. The once and for all sacrifice. You know, people say, well... Yeah, even back, even back in the Old Testament, yeah, all the way back to the creation, God was preparing Himself. God had, had the plan, the Lamb of God that would come and take away the sin of the world. Every sacrifice, every part of the law, you see, was always pointing to that. If you think about it. So yeah, the, the danger of having an altar in a church is, you, as a church, you make it holy. And as a church, you make the church a special place. I heard Christians say, well, you know, what, what about Romans where it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice? The problem is, most, the only place most Christians present their bodies a living sacrifice is right here. You know where we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Out there, brothers and sisters, every single day. 
and let Christ use us and live in us so we can be a light and a witness to those in the world. It's real easy to come and throw yourself down here and say, oh, I've been bad. Oh, I've been horrible. Forgive me. Nothing wrong with that. But unless you go live it out there, brothers and sisters, you're wasting yours and everybody else's time. It's real easy to be holy here. It's not so much out there. And that's where it's needed. You see, that's the danger. And then people get up feeling good. Oh, the, the church hugged me and they told me I was great. And then you go away, walk out the door and you live all the rest of the other six days just doing everything you want to do. What have you gained? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is when we make places holy and when we make circumstances holy, we make it real easy to be holy one day and then go do what we want the rest of the time. And that goes against everything that the Bible's teaching. So yeah, we have an altar. This ain't it. Christ is it. In fact, Christ changed the meaning of temple, sacrifice, and everything. <laughs> if you think about it, brothers and sisters, if you think about it for a minute, He changed the meaning of temple. Like I said, we talk about God's house. People come to God's house. Don't say this in God's house. Don't do that in God's house. Do you know what the real temple is? If you're a child of God, your body's a temple. You know where that temple's at? It's everywhere you're at. It's real easy to come into what we refer to as God's house or God's temple and act good, oh, I'm proper. I say hello to everybody. I'm really nice. But I go out there and I'm rotten to everybody. I'm mean to everybody. I'm hateful to everybody. But when I come in God's house, I smile, everything's okay. Kind of like I always like to watch. I don't call it. Man, I like watching all the people, you know, when they pull in the kids. I've done this for years. You see them, they're jerking kids out of the car. And they're like, oh my God. And then they walk in. Oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> they walk in. Now that's a joke, and I know what kids can do. That's the evidence of But my point is, that's how we live. We go out here and we're jerks and we're mean, we're hateful, we're rotten to the core, and then we come in here and we're the nicest people on earth to each other. Again, what does that matter? Go out there and be a light and show love to people out there. That's where it's needed, you see. Our bodies are the temple. What God, God is far more important, or God is far more interested in what goes on in here than He is in here. See what I'm saying? He wants to, what's going on in here? And I want you to ask yourself that question right now this morning. What's going on, not in this building, in this room right now, what's going on in here, in your heart? What's going on inside of you? How's things in there? Because it don't matter what's going on in here if it ain't right in there. You can sing, and you can act wonderful, and you can act like everything's fine, but you, only you and God know if it's not in there. And if it's not, you need to make it right. Then he says, therefore. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the gate. Keep reading down in the 15th. By him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. We have an altar, brothers and sisters. Thank God that we have an altar. We have an altar, brothers and sisters, that we can go to any time. I've heard people say before, I couldn't wait until the church opened. I couldn't wait until church time so I could go to the altar. I always say, what were you waiting for? You could have had an altar wherever you were at. Why did you have to wait until the church door was open? Thank God, brothers and sisters, we don't have to be like the people in the Old Testament and wait until the temple doors are open and they're offering the sacrifice before you and have a high priest. Brothers and sisters, we have an altar, thank God, and we can go to it any time, day or night. We have an altar, brothers and sisters. And you know what? You don't have to go find a high priest or a preacher to meet you there and go there. Jesus Christ is the high priest. And brothers and sisters, He tore that temple down in two. And you have access to it by Him any time. You have an altar, brothers and sisters. You have an altar where a perfect sacrifice was slain. You know, I was always thinking if I was the priest or if I was the kid, that they were supposed to bring that bull like a ram without blemish. Is it really without blemish? Was there? Let me look. Turn it over. Let me roll it over. If there's a if there's a spot on it anywhere, I hope it was really without blemish. I hope they're doing it the right way. 
brothers and sisters, I've went through this book inside and out for the last 30-something years. And I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ is the perfect sacrifice. There is no blemish. He is the only way. And God accepted that sacrifice when He took His own blood into the Holy of Holies and put it there for all of us. He is perfect. He is without blemish. And He is the only way, you see. And, unlike the people in the Old Testament, that bull's blood, it never forgave their sin. But when Christ died in His own blood, that forgave us, brothers and sisters. That forgave us. That was accepted. How? You know, people said, I'm so bad. I don't know how I could ever be, how God could ever let me into heaven. That's a very true statement, but you know how? It's because of that blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and for me. That's how. Now, we do have a couple sacrifices and things. These last verses, I don't want to miss them. I'm getting past your lunchtime. But it's important that you understand these too. So, first of all, any sacrifice we make, I want you to understand this any sacrifice we make is by Him and through Him. In other words, here's what, here's what don't to do. This, this, I could have done this as a two-parter. Don't make these stupid deals. God, if you'll just help me through this situation, I'll be good to Mike the rest of my life. I'll take care of Tammy. I'll help Kim. I'll help Dale and Dave. Really? You think because you've promised to be good to them, God's going to help you with this? No. If that was true, why couldn't I say, God, just forgive me, and I'll be good to all these guys. It's God. Jesus died for me. I know you died for me. I have failed and come short. Can you forgive me? Can you restore me? Quit making those stupid deals with God. It don't work. He wants all or nothing. Because you know what? Most of us forget those deals anyway. And God knows we're going to forget them. And they don't work anyhow. So don't do it. It does it. It's silly. All the sac- He is the sacrifice. He is the altar. You've got to make it through Him. I like what he says here in the 15th. By Him, therefore, let us offer the, praise of, the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. Brothers and sisters, we ought to wake up every morning if we can open our eyes. Thank you, God, for another day. Thank you, God, that I can get out of bed. Thank you, God, that I can pay my bills. Thank you, God, that I can walk. Thank you, God, that I've got some health and strength and I've got a little bit of food to eat. Thank you, God, for everything you've given me. And brothers and sisters, here's what I don't understand. Even if you think about what we're doing in here, praising God continually, I don't understand how even if you can't sing, which I can't, when we open up a book and we start praising God, how can you not just let it belt out? Or even if you don't let it belt out, how can you not stand there and just focus and think about God instead of your grocery list? Or what you're going to do when you live, leave here? I always look at what we do in here, brothers and sisters, as two hours on a Sunday morning when we can put everything in the world away from us and focus and praise God. And you know what? You can do that sometimes driving in your car. You can do that walking down the street. You can do that out in the woods. Just get everything off your mind. Just you and God. And offer up that continual praise and sacrifice, you see. Praise into His name. 16th verse, the last one. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such fat sacrifices, God is well pleased. When God's forgiven you, when God has saved you, it makes you, or it should make you, something's wrong, it doesn't. It makes you want to do good. It makes you want to help people. It should make you want to love other people. Never understood that until really the last several years. Brothers and sisters, if you, if there's a lot of people who say, yep, God saved me and I, I'm on my way to heaven. But you never show, they, you never see an act of kindness to them from anybody to anybody else. You never see them doing anything. There's some of them are the most hateful, mean people in the world. I'm not saying are they saved or not, but I'm scratching my head. Do they have what I've got? 
if there's people that you just hate so much that you can't even stand to be around, I'm not saying you've got to be besties and you've got to go into business partnerships. But if you can sit there and say, you know, if something bad was happening to Bob, and I can sit there and say, boy, I'm so glad that's happening to Bob. He deserves every bad thing that's happening to him. Something's wrong. Something's desperately wrong. If you can enjoy watching somebody suffer or have adversity, like we said earlier, something is wrong. So those acts of kindness, that community, that communication. That's what God wants us to see. The love He's shown, the forgiveness He's shown us. He wants us to go and show that to other people. That's the sacrifices He's pleased with. And it's not in here, it's out there. So brothers and sisters, the challenge is, can you go out there tomorrow and show love and kindness to everybody you meet, whether they deserve it or not? That's not saying, <laughs> yeah, I, I have tons of people who, who work for me. And I've had to tell people, a few people, so the problem's you, and you got to go. And they're like, I can't believe, I, I thought you were a Christian. I, I thought you were nice. How, how can you tell me i got to go? I'm like, because you deserve to go. You're not doing your job. That's not being mean. That's, that's being truthful and being fair to the other people who are doing their job. I'm not saying you've got to be a pansy and a patty cake and roll over everything that's going on. But brothers, what I am, and sisters, what I am saying to you is you've got to love people. And some of those people that I've had to go through that with or I've had to discipline or I've had to do that, even I don't hold anything against them. They probably hold a lot against me. But I would help them and I have helped them in other cases. Get other jobs and other things. My point is, brothers and sisters, you've got to be fair. I had a boss that used to say, you can be nice. You can just tell everybody what they want to hear. But that's not being kind. Being kind is telling people what they need to hear. And usually they come around. Most of them come around. I've had people do this too. Over years later, sometimes they come back and say, thank you. I hated it right then. But that's what I needed to hear. What I'm telling you here today, brothers and sisters, is what you need to hear is Christ is interested in what's going in here. We have an altar, brothers and sisters, but this ain't it. That altar is Jesus Christ, and it's wherever you're at. This is the temple, not this. And Christ wants to know what's going on in here. Brothers and sisters, if you're not living it out there, you're wasting your time if you're doing it in here. That might not be nice, but it's kind. I'm telling you what you need to hear. You see, brothers and sisters, we have an altar. Let's not confuse ourselves or confuse people where it is and what it is. Go Bob. All right, absolutely. Excellent message this morning. You know, I was thinking as, as he was saying, this isn't the altar. I was like, we've called this the altar for how many years, you know? We've got to change that thinking because he's absolutely right. There's nothing special about this right here. And, and like we said, like when M got saved, we were back there crying together. We weren't here. We were back there. And it was just as special back there. And she got saved back there. We just got to change our mindsets. It don't take much to get me emotional, does it, guys? All right. With that, I want to ask you all to stay whether we do it here, there, or wherever, I just want to shake hands and tell each other I love you. Because that's really what it means. Amen. Having Christ in your heart is loving each other. And then let's take that love outside those doors like we've been preaching. Like He just preached. Because that's what's important. That everyone out there sees Christ through us. As we have a song. Go ahead, guys. Amen.